0: Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everyone here. May May God bless us as we go to His Word now. Would you pray with me, please? Dear Lord, we ask that You would open our minds and open our hearts to the reading of Your Word. We pray that uh, we are shaped by this Word. We pray that we will receive this Word as a living Word, knowing that these are the, the teachings of Scripture. That they are inspired by Your Spirit. And that this is more than ink on a page this is more than the the dead letter of the law but lord this is these are living words that we live by and this this story this message was real to those who experienced it and it is real again for us today would you bless us in the preaching and the hearing of this word in Jesus name amen so, if you want to join me in Acts 19, we're continuing our uh, reading through Acts. And we're witnessing the work of Christ and His church through the Holy Spirit. And Paul has traveled to many places and he, uh, he finally is on his way to Ephesus in Asia, uh, what he would have called Asia. What we would call the nation of Turkey, uh, but remember, the spirit of Jesus prevented him from going there originally, and now he's finally there. So we pick up in 191. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, where he found 12 believers, 12 disciples. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, he asked them. No, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later. That means Jesus. Well, as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied, and there were about twelve of them in all. Paul has made it to Ephesus, the cultural capital of the world as he knew it. Ephesus is a large city. There are so many different beliefs, so many different people from so many different nations there all the time. Now, in a city like Jerusalem, you could expect that during the times of the 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 festivals, like the Passover or the Pentecost, that there would be people from many different nations arriving there. But in Ephesus, people from different nations was an everyday sort of occurrence. And it's in Ephesus then that, that Paul has finally arrived in the heart of Asia Minor. And he's he's come there by way of Corinth, another key city. And it was in Corinth that he met Priscilla and Aquila, a husband and wife, both of them uh, Jews, and they've become disciples of Jesus. And now they're evangelizing and they're teaching other people. And one of their students, one of their disciples, is a man named Apollos. And Apollos has a gift for preaching. And they've taught Apollos, and Apollos was either a disciple of John the Baptist, or Apollos was a follower of the teachings of John the Baptist. But now he hears, too, that, that baptism is now in the name of the Lord Jesus, because the one that John was pointing to has now come, it was Jesus Christ, and that now there is a Holy Spirit. And so now that Paul goes to Ephesus, he meets some other disciples who are followers of John the Baptist. And we have all of these disciples and all of these baptisms being discussed and experienced here. You've got John the Baptist who preached in the wilderness before Jesus. He called people to repentance and called them to be baptized in the River Jordan. And one of those who was baptized by John the Baptist was Jesus Himself. And then you have Apollos, this gifted preacher that Priscilla and Aquila teach, and he's baptized in the name of 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 uh, of or he, he rather he promotes the gospel and he preaches the gospel of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then it's in emphasis that Paul meets these disciples. They could have been students of Apollos because they share in that same belief in the teaching of of John the Baptist and the the baptism of John the Baptist. As Luke says, Apollos and these other disciples, they only knew about the baptism that John the Baptist called people to. And they had never heard of a Holy Spirit. Because the function of the baptism that John the Baptist called people to was not to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the only person who received the gift of the Holy Spirit when John the Baptist baptized you could argue, was Jesus. We'll get to that in a second. But did you notice that there are 12 of them? It threw me for a second when I was reading this rather pagan translation that I have here that uh, you know, I thought, well, wait, where's the mention of the 12? It just says several up there in verse 1. Well, later on in verse 7, he says, yeah, it's 12. There are about 12 of them. That's no accident, I think. That's not a coincidence. I mean, how can it be? Twelve. Why why would you mention that at the end of all of this? Why would Luke just throw that in? Oh, by the way, there were about twelve of them. I mean, is Luke wanting to put that down so we can have it in the record, so we can put it on our blackboard, put it in the the bulletin? How many showed up for the meeting? Well, we had about twelve. Good number, good number. No, there's a message here. But let's come back to that message for a second, because I have a I have a hunch that all of this talk of baptism leads us to some questions about baptism. The kind of questions that, that, that ring in our head quite often. Questions like, so if I didn't know about the Holy Spirit or didn't expect the Holy Spirit, do I have to be baptized again? You may be asking that question. Questions uh, about rebaptism. Did you understand everything that you were supposed to understand on the day you were baptized? For those of you who are interested in a career in ministry, you'd better prepare for those sort of conversations. And and, and by the way, I have had those conversations with some of you here. And I'm delighted to have those conversations with people. Baptism is one of those things that, that I, I actually enjoy talking about that. And I'm happy to talk to you about it. And and any questions that you may have are are good questions. And they're worth talking about. These are the sort of questions that come up. And and by the way, one of the questions that some of you may have is, so if there's baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit, then are there really two baptisms? And would I want baptism in water rather than baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because baptism of the Holy Spirit sounds like the one... That's a lot more powerful. Well, there are two baptisms being discussed in these texts. But the only two baptisms that are mentioned in this scripture, the only two baptisms that are mentioned in scripture, really, is this baptism that John the Baptist called people to, and then baptism in the name of Christ. And and let's understand a little bit about these two. First of all, What you read here in Acts 19, this is the only instance, the only recorded instance of of people being baptized both by John the Baptist and later into the name of Jesus Christ. You could say, as is often said, this is the only account of re-baptism, but I don't think that's accurate. Because it's not re-baptism. I mean, re-baptism has the idea that somehow the first one didn't take or it had to be renewed. You know, I've got to go down to the DMV, get my license renewed. Why? I didn't learn, I didn't forget how to drive in the last ten years. I mean, you know, why do I have to get it renewed? It should be enough that I got it once, Right? Well... We won't discuss government. But anyway, the uh, uh you know, this is not a re baptism as this the first one had to be done. It's a completely different baptism. It's a completely new baptism because even though they look alike in the sense that they both involve water and immersion, the function and the meaning are different. John the Baptist was calling people to expect that there was a Messiah coming. He was getting people ready. He was saying, There's 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 a there's a day coming. There's one coming after me. I'm not even fit to untie his shoelaces. This one who's coming after me, he's the one that everybody's waiting for. So you'd better get ready. You'd better get ready for him to appear, for him to arrive, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So he's calling people to repent, to turn away. And that baptism marked and it symbolized that turning away from the world and getting ready, being washed up and clean, ready for the arrival of the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King, the Son of God. So you can imagine how John the Baptist feels when the One who's coming after him shows up to be baptized by John. But that's, as they say, another story. Then there's this baptism into Christ, which is what the disciples preach and practice. It's what what Peter mentions on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. When he calls them to repent... And to be baptized, but to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. And there's meaning in that phrase. Because you're being baptized into the one that John the Baptist pointed to. By the way, this time of year you'll see a lot of paintings and pictures of Jesus, and you'll also see pictures of of John the Baptist from those of you who come from a tradition where they practice advent or maybe you have family members who are involved in in you know branches of Christianity where they have advent you'll always see pictures of John the Baptist right about this time or you know second third week of December and you watch and and tell me if this isn't true that anytime you see a picture of John the Baptist he's always doing this he's pointing who's he pointing to he's always pointing to Jesus He's always pointing at Jesus. Because that's what John the Baptist's function was. He was saying, there's someone coming after me. Don't look at me. Look at him. He's the one you're waiting for. And so on the day of Pentecost, when Peter can preach and he says, you need to be baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. He's saying, this name has authority now. It's like Jonathan was telling us at the communion. The death. The suffering on the cross. It had its meaning. But now it has authority because of the resurrection. The Scriptures that were on the screen during communion, did you notice those? They come from the same writer of Acts 19, from Luke himself. Luke 24, where you have these these downcast disciples. And by the way, if we think that, that the cross is all that really matters, there were two disciples on the road to Emmaus, leaving Jerusalem. And all they knew about was the cross and the death. And let me tell you, it wasn't enough for them. They were depressed. They were downcast, Luke says. And until Jesus Himself, the risen Jesus, met them and began to explain to them that the suffering had meaning, but so also the glory, then that's when their, their, their hearts were, were, were burning. They were, they were alive again. They were excited That name of Christ has authority. And Peter also mentions that this baptism, through this baptism you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, so he's connected it. Here's the point. Baptism into the name of Jesus Christ is baptism in the Holy Spirit. They're the same thing. They are not two different baptisms. They're the same thing. So if you were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, You received the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you received the gift of the Holy Spirit, then if it's real, you were baptized into the name of Jesus Christ. They're the same thing. There's no distinction between the two. It's not baptism A or baptism B. I mean, we get a lot of choices at this time of year. You go online and you order your gifts for everybody. What do you want that in? Do you want that blue or gold or yellow, fuchsia, chartreuse? What do you want? You know, what color, what model, what style do you want? And you have all of these choices, and we have so many choices. You go out to eat, and we get so many choices. I hate it. I hate those kind of choices, and I always hate it when they try to predict things. I go through the drive-through, and I, I I drive up, and I know what I'm going to order, and then they throw me off. I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to get I'm going to get sausage burritos for breakfast. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. Do you want to try some cinnamon rolls? No, you threw me off. I had my order ready, and then you mentioned this other thing. You know, too many choices. You don't get that option with baptism. Would you prefer baptism in the Holy Spirit or would you prefer baptism in the name of Jesus Christ? It doesn't work that way because they're the same thing. That's what Scripture teaches. There are only two baptisms and it's the two that are compared here when this dialogue that Paul has with these disciples in Ephesus. There's baptism, the kind of baptism that John called people to, and there's the baptism into Jesus Christ. And they serve different purposes furthermore the baptism into christ jesus you might think of it as the upgrade to the baptism that john called people to and you might think of it this way that the first baptism was in preparation for the baptism that was to come just as john the baptist was the one preparing the way for the one who would come after him so it makes sense that Apollos' understanding has to be upgraded. It makes sense that Paul has this conversation with these disciples. And he says, have you even heard that there is a Holy Spirit? They're saying, this is news. And Priscilla and Aquila share the good news with Apollos. Paul shares good news with these twelve disciples. And it is indeed news. Because they're hearing Something new, something that they did not know. So, let's go back to those twelve disciples, though. Why are there twelve? What's that twelve all about? Well, look at what happens to them in the text. They're baptized into Christ. They receive the Holy Spirit with power. They, They begin to speak in tongues. They begin to prophesy. Now, now, stop and think for a second. Where have we seen that before? Because Luke is giving us a word picture. Where have we seen that before? We've seen it in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius. They weren't... didn't really happen in that order. They received the Holy Spirit and they began praising God, not prophesying. And that convinces Peter and his companions that, well, if they've received the Holy Spirit, then who can prevent them from being baptized? okay first meeting between Jews and Gentiles and God revealing His large agenda for the world. We've seen this actually in Acts chapter 8 when Philip goes and preaches the message in Samaria and there's a lot of tension between the people in Judea and Jerusalem and the people in Samaria. There's a lot of tension between them. A lot of historical animosity there. Okay? And yet they receive the Holy Spirit. Peter and the other disciples go up there, they lay hands on them, they receive the Holy Spirit. But those two experiences of baptism and the Holy Spirit, they don't come close enough to resemble the one that I think Paul that Luke is really trying to get us to see. That when Paul is talking to these twelve, it looks a lot like what happens on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two that what you have on Acts chapter 2 is you have how many people who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and begin speaking in tongues and they begin prophesying? How many? Twelve. The twelve disciples that Jesus called. Well, eleven of them and one to replace the one who forsake Him. But what you, I, I this is what I think... Luke is doing, because Luke has themes that run through the Gospel of Luke and run through Acts. He's trying to get us to see the pictures, the, 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 the same notes of music all over again in his message. That when you have the baptism of Jesus, where Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in Luke 3, and you have the Pentecost Spirit... You are talking about a new age of the Spirit that has arrived. This is God breaking into the world. This is His kingdom changing things. And it's never going to be the same again. And you and I live in that age of the Spirit. It's not something we have to wait on. And and, and here's the the thing. Um, I think Luke is saying Pentecost, it's happening again in Ephesus. I mean, you could say, well, wait, there's just one day of Pentecost. Sure. But the people in Ephesus can experience that Pentecost all over again. Why else would there be twelve? Why else would they receive the Holy Spirit? Why else would they be prophesying? Jesus said in Acts 1, verse 8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Pentecost wasn't just a big tent meeting that they had in Jerusalem, and then when it was over, they rolled up the tent and packed it away. That is ground zero for God's Spirit entering the world, and it just spreads out from there all over the globe. And so you and I live in that age of the Spirit. You might say, well, wait a second. how, How do we know that? Well, here's the thing. You and I weren't around on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2. I don't think. I don't think any of you are that old. But anyway, the um, I, sometimes I act that old, but no, I'm not really that old. You and I don't know what it's like to live in a world that does not live in the age of the Spirit. So there might be a lot of things that we take for granted, and maybe we need to claim it, and we need to experience it all over again, just like they did in Ephesus. You know, when you look at it this way, that Luke is working on this theme, and we are all invited into it. The people of Jerusalem, the people of Ephesus, and the people right here along the Arkansas-Oklahoma border. We are all invited into this experience of the Spirit. I, I know that the word Pentecostal gets associated with one branch of Christianity. But, you know... In a way all of us who are baptized into Christ can think of ourselves as Pentecostal in some sense because this is the age of the spirit. Now I know that, that 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 word carries a lot of imagery and baggage and I guess I kind of want to redeem it, but I don't want to be unkind to those who for the last 100 years have had that have had that that title But what I'm trying to tell you is to think of the the Pentecostal age and to think of the age of the Spirit, you do not just have to associate it with a single experience in America. I'm trying to be nice. Let me put it like this. Let me tell you a story. Years ago, uh, when my mother was worshiping again at the the Church of Christ there in Winslow, and my sister and I would go with her, and and I guess I, I was older. I was in my teens. I was older. And some of you remember out there on Highway 71, there was an old place called the Ozark Mountain Smokehouse. Oh, that was a nice place. And so we would go there after church sometimes and get some lunch. This ought to be making some of you hungry right now. And so we would go there and we would visit. Well, one day, and this, this, I just love this about church fellowship. One day we went there and we saw Brother Paxton. He, he was the old bachelor at, at the Winslow Church. Such a neat fellow, such an interesting fellow. And he was there eating by himself. And so we came over, and we joined him at the table, and he asked us to come to the table. And there we were, my mother, my sister, and I, and, and we were having a good time and listening to his stories. And he knew everybody in that area. Well, a couple walks into the smokehouse, and they've got the traditional look of what you you know anticipate someone being a um, rather traditional Pentecostal would. You know, the women have got the dresses on, they've got the dark clothes, they've got their hair up in a bun and everything. I mean, it's obvious, okay? It's obvious. I'm not putting them down. But what's interesting is Brother Paxton then turns to us and he goes, he talks to them. He knows them first. He greets them. He welcomes them. He has this great relationship with them. And then he turns to us on the side and he says, they're Pentecostal, as if we didn't know Now the rest of the story is, is that then a few minutes after that, my sister and I were getting a kick out of that, but a few minutes after that, this couple comes in and they've got on the leather garb and they've got metal studs in their faces and they've got tattoos and they've got blue hair. And it's spiked in all directions. And they walk in and they come in to get some, some sandwiches there at the smokehouse. And I turned to my sister and I said, They're not Pentecostal. <laughs> But maybe they were. I mean, I I guess I have to confess, I was a bit judgmental. I mean, they looked different. The other couple looked different too. But you know what? If they had been baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, and if they had received the gift of the Holy Spirit, then in that sense, they're continuing the experience of the age of of the Spirit. And so in that sense, yeah, it's Pentecostal, meaning that it is tied into Pentecost. I'm not talking about all the externals, whether it's, you know, metal in the face and tattoos or buns in your hair. I've told that story before, actually, and, and someone told me, they said, well, you know what? My grandmother was a Pentecostal, and she had blue hair, too, and uh, the um, diff- little different shade of blue. But it's not all about the externals. It's about the internals. It's about what we're connected to. And whether we're connected to the experience of Jesus Christ and being baptized into His name. So the real question, I mean, I know there's a lot of questions that come up with baptism, but the question I would ask you to dwell on is this question. It's the only question that comes up in the Scripture. What baptism did you experience? Paul's Hope is, he's trying to understand them. He wants to know what baptism they experienced. Because if they did not know that there was a Holy Spirit, then they did not experience baptism into the name of Jesus Christ. Now, you might ask, well, wait a second. If we're in the age of the Spirit, then what other baptisms are there? Well, unfortunately, there are some baptisms that we experience. And I, I I wonder, did you experience baptism into the church of Christ? Because there's no such thing scripturally. No, God adds us to His church. But we are not baptized into the name of the church. That would mean that you're baptized into the name of a group of people. That would mean that you're baptized in the name of your preacher. You're not going to get saved that way, okay? I guarantee you right now. No, we are baptized in the name of Jesus. That's how you are added to His body, to His church. How can you be if you don't have the authority of His name? Have you experienced the baptism of the one-time amnesty? I'm afraid that sometimes baptism has been simplified so much that it becomes this one-time amnesty. Look, you're going to sin, so the story goes, and you get one shot at getting cleaned up. After that, the counter starts all over again. And you're going to just accrue sins all over again. The, the scripture in Hebrews says that the blood of Christ does not just save us one time, but once and for all. It is, if we, 1 John, if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, then the blood of Christ continues to cleanse us. When we've simplified baptism into this kind of, look, you get one shot at this, and then after that, we can't save you again. You can't get another one. Oh man. So you'd better stay clean. We come up with weird ideals of discipleship that after you're baptized, you have to kind of hide in a corner. It's like getting your clothes cleaned up and then Please, don't get mud on them all over again, okay? Just just stay out of trouble. And that's not discipleship. That's not baptism. I think it was Charles Hodge, he was a preacher that some of you may know, who said that with that kind of thinking, what we ought to do is we ought to stand at the baptistry and after somebody's baptized, we ought to just shoot them with a gun right then and there because we can't expect that they'll be saved. See, those kind of bad ideas, that sort of bad thinking leads to a weak discipleship. What, about, what baptism did you experience? Did you experience the baptism of the get out of hell free card? I've told you before that I've had moments where I'll, I'll get people together in some of those off hour baptisms. And I'll say, let's tell each other the story of the day we were baptized. Let's remember it. And there was one occasion in particular where I thought, you know, there's some older people here that might encourage. They were, they, were, they were fellows my age. And I thought they might encourage this young person who wants to get baptized. And I said, tell them your story. Why were you baptized? I got scared to death at church camp. And I didn't want to go to hell. And that's pretty much it. Isn't there more? What about Jesus? What about the Holy Spirit? I hadn't really thought about that much. I felt like Paul in Acts 19. Now, let me say this. If that's been your experience, I don't think that that means you can't claim that baptism. It means that we need to build on that baptism and we need to grow into it. Because the baptism is the beginning of a new life. It's not the last step and then it's over. It's the beginning of new life in Christ. If it is rebirth, if it is new birth, then we move from there and we grow and we increase and we experience God's Spirit working with us. These misunderstandings keep us from appreciating and living out baptism in Christ and what it means to have that relationship with Him. When you go on here in Acts 19, you'll see that that Paul, there's healings that go on with Paul. I mean, even like if Paul's had a hanky or something like that, and then he drops it, people can touch it and they're healed. Well, notice that Paul isn't running around you know, doing his healing miracle show. Come and be healed by the Apostle Paul. Yea and verily, here it is. Be healed. He's not doing that. People are just picking up on this. In fact, it's the fellows who try to do that, who try to use the name of Jesus Christ in their own, to their own advantage. These, these guys who are called the seven sons of Sceva, that name alone ought to be a warning. And they go around thinking, we're going to cast out evil demons in the name of Jesus. One evil demon takes them to school. He says, who are you? I know Jesus. I've heard of Paul, but I don't know you. And in one of those wonderful, colorful moments, it says that the man possessed with the Spirit sent them out bleeding and naked. Okay? That's the Greek New Testament way of saying they were losing a fight. Okay? Okay? Paul has this power not because he's trying to capitalize on it, but just simply because he has this relationship with God. When you experience baptism in the name of Jesus Christ, a relationship with God, with Christ, begins at that baptism. It begins, and we grow in it. And we are under the authority of Christ's name. We live under so many ideas of jurisdictions and authorities and we know where you know, some of you have been traveling. You can see on your GPS the little dotted lines and the signs. Where does the border begin? When do you cross from this territory to that territory? Sometimes if you're, if you're really strict about this, you get really upset when your GPS shows that you've crossed the state line, but the sign for it is a few yards down the road. Ah, you know, I mean, how are we going to find out where the boundary really is? Don't we understand that spiritually when we're baptized, we are baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, which means you are now under His authority. And there's no worry about boundary lines. It's clear. It becomes very clear. Because the authority of Jesus is ultimately everywhere. You'll say, wait a second. I know places where Jesus is not honored. I know places where Jesus is not respected. Sure. But that doesn't mean He hasn't claimed that territory. It belongs to Him. All things have been put under His feet. That's the glory. That's the exaltation. I mean, you can sit around and deny that He's in charge. And you're going to lose that battle too. We who have been baptized into the name of Jesus are now under that authority. That means we belong to Him. That means that we have that relationship. And there is this age of the Spirit that's spoken of constantly in the New Testament. I just think that sometimes our limited views keep us from recognizing it. Ephesians 4 mentions how the Spirit empowers the church, and and we've got pastors, and we've got teachers, and we've got apostles, and we've got prophets. and, And he's not just giving out a lot of titles and ranks, but he's saying we've got all of these gifts and all of these people who are gifted, but it's for one purpose, building up the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians 12, he says we've got all of these gifts, And we've got the gift of love that everybody can excel in. And again, there's a purpose. You know what it is? Building up the body of Christ. That's the empowerment of the Spirit. We've got Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is at work in your life, what does it look like? It looks like love and kindness and joy and peace. Someone shared a statement with me recently that it's one thing to be right. But if you're right and you're not kind at the same time, Just look at Galatians 5. You're missing out on one of the important fruits of the Spirit. That's how the Spirit works in our lives. So when you're worried about the things that, you know, it's like, yeah, I'm just not that kind of a person. Well, no, not right now. But are you willing to live under the authority of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to have a relationship with Him? Are you willing to let the Spirit work in you and change you and shape you so that you grow? Now, I know that I've spent the Sunday before Christmas talking about baptism. And depending on where you come from, what your background is, well, that's either unexpected, or you know that it's okay to preach Luke's Nativity as long as you don't preach it on Christmas Day. We all have our different backgrounds. No, I've preached this text because it was chosen. Acts 19, it was the text of the day. Some of you would be happy if I only preached baptism. Okay. Well, I do. Every sermon that we preach is about baptism because it's about living out our baptism. Sermons that preach instructions on baptism, that's something entirely different. And we don't have to preach those over and over again. But we do preach every word of God is about living out The meaning of our baptism. Or, painting a picture for people of what baptism means. What that life after baptism means. Yeah, this is the time when people are thinking about the birth of Christ. This is the time when we think about the birth of Christ, if we truly understand it. And that story is told in Luke chapter 2. The same writer of Acts 19 And you know that there are themes there. Themes of the Spirit. Themes of the birth of the Son of God. But I think there's one point in Luke's narrative. There's one point in Luke's Gospel and in the Acts where all of those come together. It's like where all of the lanes, all of the lines cross. And it's another story of the birth of Jesus. It's Luke 3. I mean, if we compare baptism to a birth then isn't this in some sense a birth as well? It's at least a beginning. I know that Jesus did not need to bury the old man of sin the way Paul describes baptism in Romans 6. But there is a turning point at this baptism. He has to convince John the Baptist, we need to do this. But I'm not worthy, says John. I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me, Jesus says. This moment needs to happen. And aren't we glad that it did? You know why? Because you see God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit all together right there in the waters of baptism. And when you see paintings that depict this, you will see Christ the Son in the river of Jordan. And you'll see the Spirit as it's described in Luke 3, descending on Jesus. Spirit and baptism are connected right there at the baptism of Jesus. It's the beginning of that age of the Spirit. And no, you do not see God. And it's hard to paint a voice. Some people will just paint the words on their paintings. But the voice of God rings out and says, You are My own dear Son, and I am pleased with You. A statement is made that Jesus is the Son of God. That He was born on earth to be the Son of God. To go to the cross. He was buried. He suffered. And he was raised again. So, another image that is just as appropriate at this time is not just Jesus away in a manger, but Jesus in the waters of the River Jordan with the Holy Spirit descending and the voice of God saying, This is my son. Another appropriate image. We're about to sing a song that evokes that beginning. Let me show you something. This is something that's used in astronomy. It's a filter. And you put that on the lens of your telescope when you're looking at the stars. You have different filters. Those filters help you see the stars and the planets more clearly. When we look at the story of the birth of Christ, at the story of the star of Bethlehem, we perceive it through this filter. Because you and I live on this side of the baptism of Jesus. And if you have been baptized into the name of Jesus, then you are right there with Christ in the water. And the Holy Spirit is even more active now than it was then. Jesus said so in the Gospel of John. And if you've not yet experienced baptism in the name of Christ, then I want you to know that you're fully invited. You're fully invited to experience that, to begin that relationship. And I hope that all those other those other ideas of baptisms that other people have experienced will not cloud your perception or get in your way. Because the only baptism that you need experience is baptism in the name of Jesus Christ so that you may receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. My question, the last word here, is the same question that Paul asked those twelve disciples. What baptism... Did you experience? Let's stand and sing.